0: Hey everyone, we have received exceptional support for the Diaries Plus. It means so much to us. It's been a tough year for us, we're down on sponsors, but you keep lifting us up and making this show possible. And Because of that, we get to keep making more cool shows for you. So today we're releasing a new series on Diaries Plus called Good Good Bad. Trips, adventures, and fiascos that define our lives. On New Year's Eve 2023, Mason Gravely slid a stand-up paddleboard into the tannin-stained waters of Lake Okeechobee and embarked on an adventure he's been dreaming of for years, an unsupported crossing of one of our country's biggest lakes. Between the weather, toxic algae, and alligators, he was told it was preposterous. But Mason's journey was a culmination of years of Florida adventures and a passion for conservation. Here's a little taste of the first Good Good Bad episode, Alligator Lake wherever
1: you are is an adventurous place to people that aren't from there and so it's like i'll be honest right now at this point in my life i would never leave within an hour or two of my home if i could and i'd probably that's probably going to change at some point but right now that's like my reality and i did not see that coming like i i would have laughed at you if you you said that's the way you're going to think in 5 years and so it, it all of us have to go through it like oh adventure is elsewhere or life and fulfillment and What we're looking for is elsewhere. And I think part of maturing and just part of just living this life is one, going through that, and two, (laughs) realizing everything you need is right here. You know,
0: how many times have people told us that? But it, it takes learning it yourself, you know? Subscribe to Plus Now for the full story and access to all new episodes. As always, thank you for your support. Now, on to the show.
2: What's up, Fitz?
0: Hey Cordelia. All
2: right, Fitz, if I asked you what does a bike represent to you, what would you say?
0: Oh, good question. Um, I mean I think first and foremost, you say the word bike and I think fun. I think of being five and riding around the neighborhood. I think of of seeing Tep and Wiley riding their bikes out in front of our house and I think of childhood. And I also I think of freedom, like on a lot of different levels where I remember being very aware that once I had those two wheels that I could go places, you know, further than I could walk. Um, I also think it's cool when you think about the bike in terms of of people say that the bike is one of the greatest agents of democracy because it allowed people to, you know, without a car to be able to go ride a bike somewhere and be able to vote. And that's cool. So I think of freedom. Yeah.
2: Okay. Now if I ask you what a tandem bike represents to you, what would you say to that? (laughs)
0: Uh, maybe the opposite of that like on everything I just covered from like the fun to the freedom like I've heard a couple people say that when it comes to a relationship that if you put that relationship on a tandem bike the thing about it is that it will get to wherever it is going twice as fast but I've never been on a tandem so I should not speak from experience. I'm ready to be educated. And I have heard, Cordelia, or at least the word on the street or in the offices, is that you have quite a bit of experience on a tandem. Is that correct?
2: Uh, Yep, that is true. When I was little, the Czar's family would train on tandems all summer long to demolish at the Tour de Wyoming.
0: That's not even a race, is it? It's like, that's like a fun ride, right?
2: All right. What kind of question is that? Everything's a race. Okay, no, it wasn't a race. It was a five- day tour around Wyoming that was four to 500 miles and a bunch of people would ride on it and the route would change every single year but it always included some amount of harrowing mountain passes and these huge unending stretches of prairie and so my dad and I would always ride together on one tandem and then my two brothers Levin and Tilden they'd ride on the other one and my mom would just crush on a single bike in the back and my dad who was kind of the captain of this operation, would see riders on the horizon, and he'd yell, target, and then we'd all lock our eyes on that person, you know, miles and miles off in the distance, and we'd put our heads down, and slowly the czar's family would, would reel these people in. And um, to warn these people of their impending defeat, we had a deluxe set of horns and bells on each handlebar, which we would crescendo into an almighty din (laughs) when we would pass them.
0: So would you always ride with your dad?
2: Yeah, I would always ride with my dad. And after that many miles together, we really dialed our system. Like I'd know exactly when to stand up because I'd kind of feel the chain tighten. And then when we were standing, we'd sway from side to side, just perfectly aligned. I remember standing up sometimes for like 20 or 30 minutes at a time as we climbed passes because we just had that power together in that rhythm. And I was, I was pretty short back then too. So the only view I had of the road was that little triangle under my dad's armpits. So I just learned the road by feel just kind of trusting that my dad wasn't going to kill us as we screamed down long mountain passes. After a while, I figured out the perfect amount to lean on the curves and the timing of starting and stopping. We kind of had everything synchronized. And by the end of a week, on that bike tour, we really barely had to talk. The tandem, the tandem was kind of like its own language that we became fluent in.
0: Tandem biking, it sounds like one of those activities where it's not just about getting in your own zone and kind of like losing yourself in the in the exercise and, and just working hard. It, it sounds like you really do have to be constantly aware of what the other person is doing to make it work.
2: Oh, totally. Yeah. Being on that tandem, I was sort of forget that I was an individual like that I was a separate entity from my dad at all because when we're on that bike it felt like it felt like our bodies entered into a bigger organism that linked our breathing linked our heartbeats and our muscles everything was just part of a bigger animal and you really have to figure out how to be one on a tandem bike otherwise you just don't go forward
0: It sounds like it worked out pretty well for you and your dad, but I can imagine a situation where that linked fate, two people on a bike together, does not turn out smoothly. I mean, it seems like it takes a fair amount of practice and focus to find that rhythm, and that takes time. Today, we present Tandemonium. Five stories of two people, one bike, successes, failures, Low points of a linked fake on a tandem bike. It sounds very dramatic, because it is. Just a heads up that the final story addresses adult themes, so you may want to listen through before sharing it with younger ears. I'm Fitzka Hall,
2: And I'm Cordelia Zars.
0: And you're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries.
3: My dad has never been one for convention. A lover of all things DIY, his interest in projects seems to increase the more money they save
2: and the more creativity or danger they require to achieve. This is Alexandra Buck. Her dad's interests ran the gamut from open source computer systems to gardening. And he always recruited Alexandra and her sisters into his homemade adventures. The girls helped him carve two dozen pumpkins for Halloween and they fell their giant sunflowers with a chainsaw. So when Alex's dad turned his eyes to cycling in the late 90s, it was only a matter of time before Alex found herself along for the ride. My dad threw himself into cycling in his trademark style, building recumbent
3: bicycles out of scrap metal and scavenged parts from the dump, and setting his own tires with screws so that he could commute to work through the winter in my northern Ontario hometown, where temperatures pretty regularly dropped into the negative 30s. I guess he quickly realized that his eight-year-old daughter, me, lacked both the stamina and the dedication to join him on his Velo objectives. I had zero appreciation for the pace or the pain of bicycle touring. His attempts to bring me along on rides were met with protests, typically in the form of me riding as slowly as humanly possible without tipping over. Enter the tandem bicycle. Now, he could pedal as fast as he wanted and I as slow, and we would trundle along in perfect synchronicity. There would be no excuses. Of course, he built the whole thing himself. Our tandem was a Frankenstein of old bike parts that we scavenged from the local dump. I got to choose the color though, green with yellow polka dots. The tandem was certifiably hideous, but it got the job done.
2: An obsessive reader, Alex's primary motivation for writing the tandem was going back and forth to the local library. Her dad obliged her on those trips, so she obliged him on his, long loops on remote highways and around campgrounds where they would often stay on the weekends. They made a great team. But as they cruised around town or along the highway, Alex's supervision was imperfect at best.
3: At one point, I actually became cavalier enough to start reading while we rode. Since I had no responsibility for steering or navigation, I could happily ride with no hands and just read a novel while we cruised along. <laughs> this habit ended quite abruptly when a small bump threw me off the bike, which would have been fine if we hadn't recently
2: upgraded to clip-in pedals. Her dad slammed on the brakes immediately when he noticed Alex dragging along behind the bike. The clip-in pedals and the on route reading materials were discarded shortly thereafter. I guess that, without all the literature,
3: I took to snacking on the road. And so, one day I found myself on the back of the bike, sucking on a large gobstopper. Again, we hit a small bump. I inhaled sharply and launched the gobstopper firmly in my windpipe. I couldn't breathe, I couldn't make a noise, I was rendered completely helpless as my father cycled on, happily and obliviously, pedaling towards his destination. (laughs) I desperately tried to reach him to grab his shirt and make him understand that I was dying on the back of this ridiculous contraption, (laughs) but he was too far away. And so we just continued to move forward until I was certain that I would pass out and just fall off the back of the bike. Finally, my gag reflex kicked in and launched the gobstopper clear across the road (laughs) where it hit a large transport truck. As I gasped for breath, my dad just said, what on earth
2: was that? Eventually, Alex outgrew the tandem. She upgraded to a recumbent bike that her dad made out of an exhaust pipe.
3: There were no polka dots, but at my request, the seat was upholstered with black and white cowskin pattern fabric. That bike has been all over the place, far and wide, and I can safely say that on all of them, I was desperately just trying to keep up with my father.
0: Okay, I have a few questions about tandem bikes because I've never been on one like I said before. Because I'm sane, is it typical that the heavier, like the bigger person, always rides in the front on a tandem? I would have thought so, but but maybe it's different. Maybe it like makes more sense to have weight in the back so steering would be easier or something.
2: Yeah, oh, that's an interesting question. I guess I never really questioned who was on the front because my my dad was just always the taller one and the he was stronger. And he also knew where we were going. So, but I do think it does, I do think it does matter. Like, I think it takes a little bit more strength to steer the front of the bike when there are two people on it.
0: Okay. That makes sense.
2: Plus, I liked being on the back. It's nice. It's relaxing. You don't have to worry about steering and avoiding potholes. You don't have to worry about navigating. You can really just, you can look around you and see, like, I could watch antelope running beside us or hawks in the air.
0: That almost sounds Relaxing, I'm <laughs> not really, but I mean, yeah, hurtling through space and time with someone else in control of your bike, really calming. But it sounds like maybe not having to be in control of the bike allowed you to see more and to take more away from that experience. Is that the case?
2: Oh, totally. Yeah, because when you're when you're steering and you're completely focused on not crashing and dying, it's hard to appreciate your surroundings. So. I think riding tandem gave me the chance to see a lot more than I would have on a single bike as a kid.
0: So, question, could, theoretically, could or what if a kid was up front steering with the adult in the back? Would the adult also experience that, that freedom of looking at animals as you expressed? Um, or do you think do you think any adult, if a kid were steering and in charge, would feel out of control, that they would not be able to enjoy the experience.
2: Ooh, my dad definitely would have freaked.
0: Well, our next story is from Claire Barnett, who, as a kid, decided she would be the one with the reins or the handlebars.
4: Every summer, my three older brothers and I headed off to a little island off the west coast of France called Ile d'Oléron to spend the holidays with our grandparents. It wasn't much. But the little bungalow, with its whitewashed walls, blue shutters, crumbling terrace and hammock out back, felt like paradise. We spent the weeks running wild across the island, cycling to the market in the morning, then to the beach to eat sandwiches and sunbathe in the dunes, then down back alleys to pick blackberries to make into jam in the afternoon. A motley collection of bikes fueled our summer adventures, which, despite their peeling paint, rusting frames, and highly questionable brakes, made it through from one year to the next. The jewel among this ageing treasure trove of bikes was a 1950s tandem. It made quite the statement with its large green frame, brown leather saddle, beautifully curved silver handlebars, prominent front lamp, and the only brake fixed to the frame below the handlebars. Some of my favourite memories of those summers of riding that tandem bike with my granddad, who we call Bubba. Baba is one of the most amazing men I know. As a child, with the help of the French resistance, Baba escaped from the Nazi-occupied France to Switzerland, and the story of the day he and his siblings were smuggled across the border, narrowly escaping capture, is one I would ask him to tell and retell as he sat with his pipe and cane in the garden. He trained first as a doctor, but a genetic condition meant he started going blind in his twenties and soon after lost his sight completely. He went on to become a writer and a psychotherapist, winning awards and recognition for his work. But what makes Baba so special is his kindness, his wisdom and the love he shows us all in little ways. Dancing with Mamma Mia out on the terrace, uncomplainingly repairing our bikes and chuckling conspiratorially at our jokes. Arriving on the island, he would greet us all with a twinkling smile, reaching out for a hug and kiss. He regaled us with stories but also listened attentively to our own as we walked along the beach or down the small streets in the local village in the evenings. Returning down the sandy lane leading to the little house, he would sometimes pause for a moment and look up at the sky, tentatively trying to locate the moon. Baba never lets blindness define him. Well into his seventies, he swung his legs over the back of the tandem as I steadied the front. He trustingly held on to the bulky frame as we wobbled down the lane and never complained when I forgot to give him a heads up about which direction we were about to turn. Sometimes we took a short trip down to the sea, where I would lead him to the edge of the water. He'd recite his favorite Emily Dickinson poems as he swam, having calculated the exact number of verses it took to arrive at a small bush further down the beach, our pre-arranged exit spot to where I'd run to collect him. Other times we rode the cycle paths along the oyster beds that dotted the wild insides of the island. But the thing that made these trips so magical was the endless conversations. I narrated the landscapes as we whizzed by. On our right, we have a line of grapevines, now fields and hay bales. Over there, a little collection of trees. And he would tell me stories about the Greeks and the Romans or some such knowledgeable subject One time, as we rode along, a couple on their bikes approached us on the cycle path. I paused and called over to Bubba, and on our left, there was a couple about to pass us now. And with that, we both turned and waved. In those moments, his blindness became a little secret that we kept for ourselves. The tandem allowed Bubba to be free of his white stick and others' judgment of what he could and couldn't do. And it gave me that special time to be close with my granddad just us. After a while, Baba stopped being strong enough to go on the tandem, and one summer I returned to the island to find that it had finally been sent to the rubbish tip. But if I think of the island, I think of Baba, and the tandem bike, and the freedom and happiness it gave us both.
0: All right, Cordelia, question for you again. Have you tried to ride a tandem bike with your dad again since, you, since you've since you
2: grown up? Yeah, last year didn't go well. We got on and I immediately pedal slapped him. So we started our ride with his shin gushing blood. And then I was just totally unprepared each time we changed gears and it would make that horrible grinding sound. We were totally out of sync. I didn't of the route we were going on. And I kept standing up to try to get a view over his shoulders. And...
0: and you missed having your own two wheels. Yeah. So what happens to that trust that you need to pilot a tandem bike together when the kids grow up and strike out on their own and then still come back to ride a tandem together?
2: Well, our next story is from brothers Miles and Tyler Boucher. Tyler is the older brother. Miles is the little brother. They weren't real close growing up. But when they both moved to Seattle, they discovered they had more similarities than they thought. They started riding bikes together, just single bikes. And then they went on a long trip that confirmed they were good riding companions. So on the next trip, they decided, why not get a tandem? It'd be more efficient. They'd get to where they wanted, faster. They'd never ridden a tandem together before, but they were confident they could do it. And just as a note in the story, Tyler's baby, Nico was also on board during our interview. So you'll hear some of his opinions on tandems as well.
1: We got the tandem and decided to go for our adventure out onto the Olympic Peninsula of Washington State.
2: That's Tyler.
1: So some on road, some gravel. Pretty rocky gravel. Some pretty pretty rough dirt. And that's Miles. And it was kind of alternating between when it was flat and downhill. We were having the time of our lives. And any time it was uphill, it was like... Miserable. Awful. So many aches and pains, like completely certain that the other person wasn't pedaling <laughs> like, like what the hell man like you gotta you gotta work too and miles is a little bit you know 10 pounds heavier than me so he was in front i'm the fat brother um, he's also the younger brother so that was an interesting dynamic that he has not often been uh, in the driver's in seat in charge
5: in our relationship yeah I, I mean with me steering up front i definitely was getting a lot of advice directly <laughs> in my ear and like i you know could See the road and had a comfortable <laughs> sense of the weight behind me and the length of the bicycle. And like it, it took probably 20 or 30 miles before I really was like, okay, I know that the bike isn't going to snap in half. And like, but I got chirped at a lot if my focus was deemed to be not satisfactory. Like, if I was enjoying the scenery for more than like 0.34 seconds, I got a little, hey, what are you doing? Or like pointing at something, and then the handlebars would do a little bit of a wobble. Focus.
2: There was no real fighting or yelling, but tension would build. Tyler had a hard time relinquishing his ingrained older siblingness.
1: It was sorely tempting. Like, I knew it would result in like a catastrophic crash, but I had to restrain myself really hard from not just tickling (laughs) under the armpits um, because we would have gone down
5: hard, but it was almost worth it. Almost. I think that was the most historical thing that was dug up, is me being a defenseless baby and Tyler capitalizing on that. We felt like a team by the end of the weekend. Like there oh, was yeah. there was so much more non-verbal very, communication very
1: coordinated, and so that's very much fostered by pedaling at the same cadence, same time, like being inches from one another. Where you you have
5: to be like we are on the same page, we are a team, because you're forced into it. By the end of the second day, I think you were like anticipating shifting when I would be shifting and breaking yeah, better. Yeah, we we and... no
1: longer needed to talk.
5: Yeah. We rarely talk
1: to to (laughs) this day.
5: And to this day, we barely talk. (laughs) Um,
1: I think the tandem can be a very difficult thing for a couple um, because the normal dynamic um, is, you know, one person is more into bicycles and comfortable with bicycles than the other, and the tandem is an opportunity for them to,
5: like, be... Get divorced. No, no. (laughs) When we got it, the guy who sold it to us was like, people used to call this the (laughs) divorcicle." Yeah, like, we we have a kind of inherent, like, even if we're mad at each other, like, we're still brothers.
2: In our next story, newlyweds Bronwyn Hayworth and Curtis Paxton test their marriage vows with a unique tour of Seattle.
6: Neither one of us remembers the genesis of the tandem idea, but you'll agree that there are a few things as quintessentially romantic as two newlyweds casually embarking on a carefree 50-mile circumnavigation of Lake Washington on a tandem bicycle. What could be more perfect? Tandems, and the couples that ride them, tend to be the mythical unicorns of the bicycling community. Part of the mystique is natural. While tandems are inevitably at almost all recreational cycling events, you'll probably be able to count the number on just one hand. Part of the mystique arises from the secretive language used to describe them. For example, instead of calling the person driving the driver, it's a much more haughty captain, pilot, or steersman. The titles become more absurd for the person in the back, known as the stoker, navigator, or rear admiral.
7: A quick google search indicated that we could rent a tandem at Montlake Bicycle Shop. Perfect, we thought. We could snag a bike and hop on the burke Gilman, a rails-to-trails project which parallels the northern shore of Lake Washington. During my time living in Seattle, I'd ridden this route many times, and I was nostalgic to ride it again and share the experience with Curtis. We entered the bike shop on that weekday morning and excitedly asked about renting a tandem. The tech we spoke to casually asked, How's your relationship? We got married on Sunday, we cheerfully answered. He was a professional, so his facial expression didn't change, but he allowed the question to hang in the air just a little longer than it should have. His body language spoke something to the effect of, of course you were. We walked out of the shop with a tandem, two helmets, and optimistic enthusiasm for our upcoming adventure.
6: In addition to being unicorns, tandems are also about stereotypes. Perform a Google image search, and you'll be treated to image after image of couples wearing matching everything. Jerseys, helmets, gloves, socks, lip gloss. Of these couples, the husband is inevitably driving, mildly acknowledging the camera while dutifully maintaining course. The wife is on the rear seat, navigating, with a much more convincing wave. Bronwyn and I don't conform to stereotypes. She is easily four inches taller than me, and a much stronger cyclist. Any rational person would put Braun in the front, which is exactly what the shop tech did, as he subtly, and avoiding eye contact, directed me to the back.
7: We had no idea what we were in for. As we straddled the top tube and then carefully lifted our feet onto the pedals, the tandem began to lurch forward, and also, somehow, side to side. It felt as though the entire bike was trying to self-destruct with us on it. Surely Curtis was doing something wrong.
6: Surely Bronwyn was doing something wrong.
7: Needless to say, we traveled about 10 feet before managing to come to a stop without completely yard sailing. It quickly became evident this was going to be an unexpected adventure.
6: For those that have never rear-admiraled, it's not a natural experience. For starters, you can't see around the captain, which is disconcerting, especially when you're being informed of situations after they happen. Your handlebars are unbelievably close to the captain's spandex-clad butt, This may sound great for a couple on their honeymoon, but I was too gripped by fear to actually take advantage of the situation. Most unnervingly, your handlebars are directly attached to the captain's seat post and they don't turn. After a few near catastrophic wobbles, we noticed Bronwyn's seat was pointed 45 degrees to the left. Well, I guess the handlebars do turn if you panic hard enough.
7: In the almost 20 years that we've known each other, we've backcountry ski-toured, mountain-biked, hiked, and climbed together. The first mile, or five, on that tandem was one of the most protracted, stressful situations we've encountered together.
6: There are three natural states of tandem riding. Fear of death, bliss, and walking. We began in state number one, white-knuckled and silenced by intense focus as we bumper bowled the bike down a wide, straight, and level bike path. It was like going back in time and learning to ride a bike again, except farther from the ground, with fewer pads, and without my dad running behind us yelling encouragement and holding the seat. How could this be? We're young, we're smart, we're athletic, we're in love. In all our years together, we had never had to communicate at such a micro level as we did on that day on the tandem. We learned that one party can't stop pedaling without turning the other person into a pretzel. We learned that the navigator's role is to trust the captain. I learned that the navigator can't navigate because you can't see
7: crap. We didn't make it around Lake Washington. In the end, we didn't come close to riding our targeted route, but with time, love, and patience, we found a synchronized rhythm and began to move in harmony instead of dissonance. We look back on that day and fondly remember the joy of actually getting the mechanics of riding a tandem, of spending time together and learning to communicate.
6: We returned the tandem in mid-afternoon, to the same tech who had rented us the bike. He actually smiled when he saw us. He seemed to have had his second cup of coffee, and was probably happy we weren't calling him in distress or asking for a ride. We asked how tandem rentals usually went. Not surprisingly, he answered, not well. Of the stories he told, the highlight was the guy who returned with the tandem, but without his girlfriend. The three of us shared a knowing chuckle, now we could understand why. These days, every time we see a tandem, we share a knowing glance and reminisce about the ride. This was the first and last tandem ride we've taken, so far.
0: I remember one time in particular, I was in Boise, Idaho, and there's a bunch of trails right outside of town. And I remember seeing these two people riding a tandem mountain bike, which... For the record at that moment in time, I was like, that is clearly insane. And you'd see them and they were just banking through the corners together. They were pedaling in total. They had this like incredible cadence. You could tell they were locked into this thing. And in a way, it looked almost effortless, but in my mind I'm like, that is insanely hard. Like it's like watching figure skating or something like that. We're like, how do they do that? You know, like I mean it looks kind of easy, but you know it's not, right?
2: Oh yeah, totally. My dad and I had a pretty elaborate countdown to launch routine for many weeks when we started riding that bike. Otherwise we'd, we'd get on it at different times and we'd lurch around and one of us would have to kick a leg off or bail (laughs) before we both toppled over.
0: So what do you think it would be like, say you met a random person, do you think you could successfully ride a tandem bike with them?
2: oh my gosh, I can't imagine. Even even when we would switch up riders in our family, it would create total chaos. And I'm remembering now that we had other, some of our friends when we were little, they would ask us if they could come ride with us. And I'm remembering one of my best friends from sixth grade came on a tandem ride with us. And that was the last time I ever saw her. <laughs> So I don't think it would go well.
0: Yes, but is it possible? I mean, could you in some alternate universe or maybe on our next segment find somebody, a complete stranger to ride a tandem bike with?
2: Well, we will find out after a break.
0: And support comes from Kuat Racks. They just released the Ibex An overlanding truck bed rack that handles substantial loads both on and off the grid. Because being off the grid is dope. Constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, the black powder coat is made for all the nature you can throw at it. Available in six different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, the IBEX is engineered for adventure with versatile full and half-height configurations. For more details, visit kuat.com. Kuat. Because you will absolutely love this bed rack and all the dope places you go.
2: Naresh Kumar grew up in the suburbs of Chennai, a large metropolitan city located on the eastern coast of India in the Bay of Bengal. His family, like most in his neighborhood, was poor. Naresh believed the best way to escape the poverty around him was through education. So he put his head down and focused on school, and he went on to study engineering at university. He secured a coveted job in India, that eventually led him to Silicon Valley, where he worked as an IT and professional consultant. A normal day in the office lasted 19 or 20 hours.
8: Until 31, I had there was nothing. No fun, no recreation, nothing. All you do is work.
2: After he'd been in the States for a few years, Naresh discovered trail running. After 100-hour work weeks, he would bound into the hills further and further each weekend, letting the stress of work fall behind him. He pushed his body running marathons, and then ultra marathons, and then beyond ultramarathons when he completed a 314-mile run across the state of Tennessee. For his whole life, Naresh had worked to gain the freedom that he thought success promised. But solving an IT problem on his computer and finishing a marathon, those things felt totally different.
8: It's like reading a chapter of a book, but the book is your life. And when you go dig deep, you uncover chapters about you that you never thought was there. So yeah, just working all the time, but eventually I wanted to do something and mostly live a life bigger than yourself. So that kind of built in like a pressure cooker. It's like inside for a very long time until one day the lid just blew off and you're like, what am I doing here?
2: He didn't know what he wanted to do or where he wanted to go. He only knew he had to get away from Silicon Valley.
8: That was the longest resignation email that I've ever written in my life. No, I was so scared. I, at one point, I hit the send button and I panicked so much. I jumped up to this router and pulled the cable. And I went back to the computer refreshing to make sure it is sitting in the outbox and it didn't go through. I was like, ah, relief.
2: Naresh had to steady himself. He had to put aside his worries of disappointing his family in India and the knowledge that they depended on him for the money he sent home. He knew that his work visa would expire when he left his job. Eventually, he sent the email.
8: I left everything behind, just packed my bags and came here to pursue I don't know what.
2: You didn't know?
8: Nothing. I just like, just went. And uh, yeah, five years since that day and and the happiest five years of my life and the best decision I've ever made. <laughs> oh.
2: Shortly after returning to Chennai, Naresh headed to Nepal to do some long distance hiking and running. After one adventure, he stopped for a night in a suburb of Kathmandu. A Nepali man approached him, noticing his buff and pegging him for a tourist.
8: He just started some chit-chatting and then eventually he said, so which room are you in, which hotel? And if you are looking for some fun, I can make some arrangements. So I thought it's like, you know, maybe drugs or something that he was trying to deal with. I'm like, no, man, I mean, I don't do drugs, but no, thank you. And he's like, no, no, I got even better. He's talking about how many girls you want for the night, you know, what kind of age group I'm into, and not to worry about any of the cops because he knows everyone. He was actually like proud that he knows a lot of people. And then um, just let me know the address or the room number. You'll hear a knock, and then everything is fine, you know. No one will have to know.
2: The man motioned to an underage girl standing behind him.
8: I said no and walked away, but not everyone does that, you know. A lot of people are in it for um, that. And I couldn't do anything about it.
2: Naresh went back to his hotel. He lay awake reading about how human trafficking generates $150 billion in profits each year how it primarily affects women and children, and how it's everywhere.
8: Then it became like, you know, life's purpose to fight for those who can't fight for themselves and see how we can end slavery forever.
2: To fundraise for his cause, Naresh decided to run the length of New Zealand, nearly 1,900 miles in his sandals
8: people always are interested when you do something extreme. Why can't you just sit behind a computer and ask for money? Why do you have to do something like that, right? So people notice, they see that you are putting your heart and soul and a lot of, you're going through a lot of pain to get through that finish line to raise money for the cause. It's not about how badass you are, what distance you covered or anything like it, but it It always drills down to the why. Why did you do it? And it gives you a platform to share these stories. And people are very kind. They always open up their hearts and join you in fighting for this cause as well.
2: Through his run, Naresh raised over $5,000 and donated it to the New Zealand charity Tear Fund to support victims of sexual trafficking. He felt like his mix of raising awareness and money was working, and he wanted to do more. Companies and organizations were joining in to support him, On the eve of a 3,400-mile ride across Australia, Naresh got a phone call. It was a member of the Rotary International, an organization that provides humanitarian aid worldwide. He had been keeping tabs on Naresh's trips. He told Naresh,
8: We got really impressed and moved by your cause and how you do it. So if you would be willing, we have our Rotary Convention in Hamburg next year and if you would be keen to ride a tandem all the way from India to Germany.
2: Naresh had pedaled a tandem before. After he finished his run across New Zealand, he decided to ride a tandem down the length of the island. He'd pick up strangers and ride with them for a bit, talking with them about human trafficking. But still, biking nearly 5,400 miles from India to Germany, that would present a whole new series of challenges. He'd be crossing through 13 countries, and for many of which he didn't speak the local language. Plus, the variations in terrain and temperature would be extreme. But Naresh was determined to help the victims of human trafficking.
8: They have been deprived of everything from their life. Let's just do whatever we can to put just the basic needs on their plate, you know, which is food, clothes, and shelter.
2: Naresh would be a featured speaker at the Rotary Club's annual meeting, giving him a platform to talk to 25,000 people. Without hesitation, Naresh said yes, and he started planning his trip. He readied his tandem bike, which he nicknamed Kindness, and connected with an organization, the released Bonded Laborers Association, which had recently rescued 30 men and women out of bonded labor slavery in India. Naresh would use his bike trip to raise money for their successful reintegration into society. The 30 victims came to Naresh's launch ceremony in Chennai.
8: This 50-year-old lady who was also rescued from the bonded labor slavery came and held my face and said, um, it really shows us the world still cares for us, that there is someone out there for people like us and to be our voice, mm-hmm. so, but don't risk too much. Come back to us safe. When she said that, I was I was like in tears, right? I'm like, well, I mean, we are going to do everything possible, not just rescuing and saving you, but make sure that this never happens again. But for this, I need a lot of people. I can't do it by myself. So I will come back, but just keep me in your prayer. Saying that, I just took off from that day. So day one, I was a mess.
2: <laughs> Naresh started biking on February 27th, 2019. His first week in the saddle, he pedaled through extremely hot temperatures. Strangers on the side of the road offered him coconut water and food, surprised to see a single man sweating his way through traffic on a double bike. Tandems are not common in India. You're
8: yeah, like, whoa, what is that bicycle? And there are two seats there. How can someone pedal like that? And they always assume that someone is missing. Either your girlfriend, she fell off the bike or your friend just walked away from you. So they pull over and you tell them what you're doing. Friends riding a motorbike, one of them will get down and jump on the bike and go as far as they can. And the next guy takes over. People in uh, tuk-tuks, they would just like pull over and ask and one of them will just get on the bike. India was busy all day, every day. So you start your day at five, and if I go to bed by three in the night, it's like a big deal. What? Because once you go to these small towns, they want to host you, you know? Everyone takes you to their house, and they all of them come over, and they want to talk to you, ask you a lot of questions, media interviews, which is good for the funds and awareness that I was raising. But uh, sometimes I enjoy talking to people, but it tires you down after a while. Mm-hmm. So I had like really long days, almost 14 days in India. I hardly slept That's 14 days, maybe like five hours a day, maybe.
2: And people were helping you pedal yeah. Like, constantly. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. What was it like to have such different riders? Was that hard to kind of just physically navigate different ability
8: levels on the back of the tandem it is i mean most of them contribute really well because it's all about gaining the momentum and once you have the momentum there's no stopping but um there are times when someone has the eagerness to cycle but they are not in a shape so that's when i feel most of the stress i mean this one person she was a gem of a person and gave this huge donation but then um, she just couldn't pedal but she wanted to And then she would constantly look at me and say, why are you sweating so much? Why are you sweating? I'm looking at her and like, you're not even holding the handlebar, you're taking selfies and your legs are just spinning with the pedal, you're not pedaling. I wanted to say all that, but I didn't. I'm like, nah, it's been a very hot day. You know, I'm a bit skinny, so I I sweat a lot. You don't want to make them feel bad.
2: Strangers would hop on the back of the bike and ride with Naresh as far as they were able ranging from a couple blocks to 30 miles. Naresh carried an extra helmet, water, and snacks if his passenger got hungry. In the time they were together, Naresh would talk about his mission and his cause, and then he'd ask them one question. What's your story?
8: They go to the core of who they are, what made them the person that they are today, what are the challenges, adversities, and they get talking. And I mean, I've had people share things that their partners don't know, Their parents have never heard. Some of them told me secrets. Up until that point, they were going to take it to their grave. I felt like a priest sitting and listening to people's confessions. (laughs) I'm like, when they get down, I'm like, go home, your sins are forgiven.
2: (laughs) It took Naresh 13 days to ride from Chennai to Mumbai on the western coast of India. Then he took a flight across the Arabian Sea and continued cycling through Oman and the United Arab Emirates. Near Dubai, he boarded a container ship to cross the Persian Gulf, and disembarked in Iran. Before entering a new country, Naresh would translate and print a script about what he was doing, the route, the fundraising, in case he was unable to get the message across verbally. That way, anyone who got on the back of the bike would understand why Naresh was pedaling a tandem and how they could help him forward his cause. In Iran, families invited him to stay the night in their house and called him Uncle Naresh. One day, a stranger walked a mile and a half just to buy Naresh a cold Coke. The hospitality left him speechless. In early April, Naresh crossed the border into Turkey. Through Iran and Turkey, where public transportation is scarce, Naresh pedaled a lot of long days alone on the bike. As he climbed through a mountain range in the Tolkat region, the temperatures dipped below freezing. The drizzle turned to a snowstorm. Unable to pedal on, Naresh sat hunched down outside of a gas station.
8: And uh, that day, the road broke me. Of all the days, no, that was the most toughest days. It brought me to tears.
2: Even with the newspaper he'd stuffed under his layers, everything was soaked through. Hunger gnawed at his insides. The wind blew so fiercely, he couldn't set his tent up anywhere. He had nowhere to go.
8: But you know, when you're vulnerable, that's when the human connection and the magic happens. Just when I was thinking the road broke me, everything is over. Just wanted to one of those days you want to throw the bike away and just walk away from all of it. And then this um old man shows up in his truck and then he said, like you know, it was a small gas station. So he took me inside and they said they were gonna close in like ten minutes. So he bought me all the tea and I'm trying to speak to him, but there's no reception. So Google Translate is not working and seeing me shaking, the tea kept coming. Then he said, like, he just made these signs, you know, sleep, where? I said i don't know come with me and it's like a small car i'm not going to be able to take my tandem on it but i have no other choice i have to brave that cold rain and i followed his car he kept driving super slow maybe like a mile and a half uphill the roads were so bad cordelia i mean the clay was like a cake around my tire it wasn't even moving everything is like clogged i have to get down and push but uh, somehow i got to his place like a cabin in the middle of nowhere
2: the whole place was about 200 square feet. A small bed rested in the corner. The man took all of his blankets and pillows and tucked Naresh into a little bed he made on the floor in the other corner of the cabin.
8: The only thing that he didn't do was kiss me goodnight that day. <laughs> and he's talking, he's saying something. I know it's all these caring words that I couldn't understand, but I can feel it.
2: The next morning, Naresh woke up to a hearty breakfast laid out in front of him. After they ate, the man motioned that he wanted to get onto the back seat of the tandem. They rode the mile and a half back to the highway, where Naresh would continue his journey west. Though they didn't understand each other's language, they communicated through their shared movement and their shared effort on the bicycle.
8: He came to that road and he just gave me this big tight hug. And I found my bike was a little bit heavy. And soon after I left his place and I found that you know my lunch and amazing dinner was packed in the bike. Just after taking off until the last minute, he was out of view. I was looking back, he didn't leave. He was just there waving his hand. I was like, there's there's a good chance I'm never, ever going to see this person again. But that 16 hours, he went above and beyond to make sure an Indian boy going on this big mission is taken care of. So, um, yeah, I still remember that face. I mean, I'm a mess. <laughs> Can't even talk about it. But, um, yeah.
6: Yeah. <laughs>
2: So as you're going along, are you? do you see people on the side of the road and you're inviting them to join you on the bike? Or do people stop you and they're like, hey, can I try that? Like, how it's that
8: both, work? actually. Uh, most of the time, it's people volunteering themselves. It's people driving a car and always they notice mm-hmm. as to why the guy is on a tandem all by himself. So mainly it's a curiosity that draws them to me. And they pull over and they're waiting. And you know when the lights are flashing, you're like, yep, story time is about to begin.
2: Other times, Naresh would have to approach people and ask if they could help him ride, which felt scary because he had to face the possibility of being rejected.
8: But um, no one ever denied. Even when you go and ask someone, like, you know, I'm doing this for a mission, can you ride with me? They go above and beyond without knowing how they're going to get back to where they came from. People just jump on the bike and pedal with you.
2: Before anyone started writing, Naresh would always give them his script to read. But the script wasn't the only tool he used to talk to people about human trafficking.
8: How do you explain a common man what it is to not have that very freedom that we all take for granted?
2: Try sitting on the back of a tandem with a complete stranger.
8: You're putting your whole trust in this person's hand and you can't steer where you want to go. And though desperately your body is trying to, you can't hit the brakes when you see a pothole but you expect this person to do complete control. So that few minutes of that experience of not having that freedom was like the very fun and adventurous way to show people what it is to lose control of your life and not have the freedom. the beginning when they start riding with you and that experience of losing control and that freedom and that metaphor that you draw, I can feel that you are scared because I could feel it as a captain when they try to control the bike. But there's nothing wrong in it, you know, because losing freedom is tough. But these people that we are trying to fight for, that's exactly what they are battling as well, except that they can't walk away like you do from here.
2: After nearly 5,400 miles, Naresh arrived in Hamburg, Germany, on May 24th, 2019. Because of a huge media following Naresh had created over the course of his journey, 300 people joined him to ride those last miles into Hamburg. He had ridden for 74 days, and he pedaled with 180 people along his route. When he arrived at the Rotary Convention, he got on stage with his tandem bike to share the story of his ride and the stories of the people that he was riding for.
8: The beautiful thing is the comfortable silence that you share with this random stranger all you hear is that chain cranking and that buzzing sound of that tire spinning that's it and then you just get down and there's no awkwardness in that silence you just come and give a big tight hug knowing that you shared the finite amount of time you had on this planet earth in a very meaningful way with a stranger and they go their way that's a beautiful thing
0: Thank you Alexandra, Clara, Miles, Tyler, Bronwyn and Curtis and Naresh for sharing your stories. Naresh is currently on the Silk Road mountain race in Kyrgyzstan a 1700 kilometer bike route with nearly 89,000 feet of elevation gain solo and unsupported. Find more information about Naresh's progress and other guests from today's show on our website. A few things coming up for the diaries. In September We'll be looking to you, dear listener, to hear your terror-worthy tales. And also in October, we're open submissions for the shorts. You can find out more about both things on our website, DirtbagDiaries.com, under the tab, right For Us. Or follow us on Instagram at Dirtbag_Diaries underscore Diaries for the latest info. Music today from Little Glass Men, Kai Engel, Cloud9, John Berry, Publish the Quest, Bradley Carter, and Ken Christensen. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archive or the artists themselves. Jacob Bain and Nice Cotto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, DirtbagDiaries.com. This episode was produced by Cordelia Zars with help from Ashley Langholz and edited by Becca Cahal. I'm Fitz Cajal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.